This is episode number 291 with Hollywood actress Natalie Kelly. The Melissa Ambrosini Show. Welcome to the Melissa Ambrosini Show. I'm your host, Melissa, best-selling author of Mastering Your Mean Girl and Open Wide. And I'm here to remind you that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word. Each week, I'll be getting up close and personal with thought leaders from around the globe, as well as your weekly dose of motivation so that that you can create epic change in your own life and become the best version of yourself possible. Are you ready, beautiful? If you want to listen to my episodes one day earlier than they are released anywhere else, you have to download the app Himalaya and follow my show. Himalaya is free, super easy to use and has every podcast you can think of. I love that you can leave comments under each episode and even create episode playlists. Make sure you check it out today. Beautiful friends, I just wanted to shine light on something and that is that this episode and a couple of the episodes that I'm going to be sharing over the next couple of weeks were recorded before coronavirus. And that's why in the episode, we don't really talk about it. Or maybe we mention it once or twice because it has just come out. So I just want you to know that. And I want you to know that I love you and that I'm thinking of you and I'm sending everyone so much love. And I'm here for you guys. I truly am here for you. So please reach out to me on Instagram with how I can support you. I've been sharing loads of meditations and tips and tricks and different things on Instagram. So come and share with me on how I can support you even more. I'm thinking about you and your family. My heart goes out to everyone. And you know, this is such a big time for us all. And I want this to be a place where you can come and still feel really inspired. So that's what I'm going to do here. And come and tell me on Instagram how I can support you anymore. I'm going to be doing lots more meditations for you guys. So come and join me and just reach out, reach out however you want and share with me whatever you want and how I can help you. So I'm sending you guys lots of love and good health. Stay well, stay happy and stay inspired. I love you guys so much. Before embarking on her journey as a Hollywood actress in movies such as Fast and the Furious, Dynasty, and so much more, Natalie studied social science and policy at university. She was born in Peru, was raised in Australia with strong spiritual and cultural ties to her ancestral homeland. During a trip home to Peru, she experienced an awakening around her mission to bring our planet and society back into balance with one another. In time, she realized that she could use her unique position as an actress with a large following to enact social change on a larger scale. As her platform grows, she is currently the lead of the soon-to-be-released ABC series, The Baker and the Beauty. She is committed to being a bridge between the many worlds that she inhabits. From fashion to geopolitics to environmental activism, she is determined to put her skills as a storyteller to use in order to raise awareness about how to transform into an influencer for the planet. 
And in this epic conversation, we chat about her story from being born in Peru and then moving to Australia where she was raised and how she got to where she is today, a big Hollywood actress. Her health crisis that led her to her awakening, the medicine that quickened her awakening, this was fascinating, how she masters rejection, which is something that being an actress and a model, you deal with a lot, you know, going to all these castings and you're constantly being told no and, you know, maybe you don't look the right part, your eyes are too close together, your hair's not the right colour, so she talks about how she's mastered rejection. She also talks about how to feel comfortable in your own skin, which is something that she has struggled with. She also chats about why she is an influencer for the planet, why she is a crusader for Mother Earth, and why she moved to a plant-based diet, why she is super passionate about regenerative farming, her definition of success, what is a solidarity swap? This is awesome, and you and your girlfriends are going to want to do this. How to live a zero-waste life how she stays present and her daily practices to do that. She also shares with us her daily routine, how she cares for her beautiful glowy skin, what she's working on within herself right now, the power of dance and why she loves to move her body, how to heal your inner child and why it's so important for your journey, plus so much more. And for everything that Natalie and I mentioned in today's episode, you can check out in the show notes and that's over at melissaambrosini.com forward slash 291. And before we dive into today's epic conversation, I want to read the review of the week. And this week, it is a five-star review titled Heart Explosion from Jessa. And Jessa says, It's hard to describe the elated feeling that comes from listening to Melissa's podcast. It's like having a life coach on hand that I can turn to whenever I need some guidance or support to be challenged in my mindset and decision-making, a healthy dose of motivation and inspiration, or sometimes to bring me back to my heart-centered place. She is of the highest integrity and an authentically kind and gentle soul. Melissa and her incredibly informative guests are always offering practical knowledge and wisdom that will add immense value to your life. Trust me when I say you definitely need to subscribe, go back through the archives to devour past episodes, read her books and follow her journey because being part of the MA tribe will be a game changer for you in your path to deep growth. Thank you for blazing the trail and keep shining that radiant light on the world. Jessa, (laughs) I am speechless. That is quite possibly one of the best reviews I've ever read. I'm so touched. Thank you so much. I'm just, wow. Thank you, honey. I'm really, really grateful. And I'd love to send you a little thank you gift. So please send a screenshot of that to hello at melissaambrosini.com. And I want to gift you my wildly wealthy guided meditation. And that is for anyone who leaves me a review. Just email me a screenshot of the review to hello at melissaambrosini.com. And I will send you my wildly wealthy guided meditation. Thank you so much, Jessa. I'm so grateful. And if you want to get your hands on my Bursting with Love guided meditation, you can leave a review on Amazon for Mastering Your Mean Girl or Open Wide or both and do the same thing. Just send me in a screenshot and I will send that over to you straight away. Thank you so much. I'm so grateful. So, so grateful, Jessa. Thank you. And now let's get this party started. Let's bring on the incredible Natalie Kelly.
Beautiful Natalie, I am so excited to have you on the show today. But before we dive in, can you tell us what you had for breakfast this morning? (laughs) Well, before I have breakfast, I have a glass of hot water and lemon and some minerals, some ocean minerals. And then I actually fast. Today I did 16 hours. And then by the time I broke my fast, I had a smoothie, which is a base of macadamia milk, which is in fact the only thing that I have that is even slightly processed. And then some leftover collard green stems and papaya, avocado, and some spirulina. That sounds delicious. Does it? (laughs) Am I selling it? It's it's pretty green, but I like it. Oh, that sounds so good. Right up my alley. Yes. So you sound like you are very health conscious and aware, which I can't wait to talk to you about. But before we go into that, can you tell us a little bit about your story, like how you grew up, how you got into acting and how you got into, you know, the belief systems that you have now around, you know, your passion for mother nature? Like how did this all unfold for you? Well, I grew up in Sydney, Australia, and I had a pretty typical suburban Sydney upbringing, except that I wasn't typical in that I was an immigrant from Peru, and there weren't many of those in the Lower North Shore. So I always felt a little different and not in a good way when I was younger. There were not many people from Peru, and I didn't really understand what a privilege it was to carry the lineage that I do. And thankfully, my mom kept our culture and our history alive in our home. And then when I was 16, I got I got the urge to go back to the motherland, well, the mother continent, and go back to South America. And I uh, immersed myself in Brazil and Argentina and later Peru and and in and in my um, yeah in my in my culture you know I feel very Australian intellectually and 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 a lot of ways culturally but my spirit and my soul and my ancestry is is puro Latino or pura Latina and so it was good to go back with people who danced the same as me and like shared that rhythm and love of life. And I had a big social justice awakening in my teens in Brazil because it was my first time out of Australia and it was my first time seeing poverty. And I understood, wow, this is what my mom left behind. This is why she pushed me so hard in school. I never understood why. And a lot of immigrant families are this way. You know, they're leaving behind oftentimes countries where they lived in not so great circumstances like in my mom's case. And she really, really pushed me to study hard and have a have a strong education because she wasn't able to growing up in Peru. And so going back to South America, I realized, wow, this is this is why my mom immigrated so that I could get the education that I had so that I could come back and help my people. And so that's when the seed was kind of planted in me as a teenager. But then I also had creative ambitions. Well, I wouldn't say ambitions. I had creative instincts to be an actress and I loved storytelling and I loved, you know, I read Shakespeare from a very young age and I was in drama at school and went to NIDA. But like, I never had the ambition to be an actress. To be honest, 
that's not really my parents. I didn't wouldn't even know how to be an artist, a struggling artist, you know, and and wait tables because I loved my craft so much. That's just not the, the how I was raised, you know. Art, being an artist was not valued in my family. Education was, so I, I I I put those dreams down of being an actress, and I started studying at University of New South Wales, and I did a degree in social science and policy, and with the intention to one day go back to South America and use my degree to like in, enact policy change there and then uh you know midway through my degree I got this audition for a pilot for the U.S. I still had my little acting agent I was ready to throw in the towel and then I booked this big job I landed a pilot I got to America I was 20 years old at this time and I had agents and managers wanting to represent me and very soon after I booked one of the Fast and Furious movies in the franchise Tokyo Drift and it really didn't mean much to me at the time it was like not something that appealed to me an action movie about cars was like not I mean I grew up watching like foreign films on SBS so that could it could not have been further away from the kind of acting I wanted to do but everyone said this is a big opportunity you should do it and I was thrown into the deep end and I really didn't have the structure and the community and the training to back me up And so I was in LA, I had this big film that people were, you know, told me I should be very excited about, but I I had never felt more empty inside. And I I felt like I'm a big fraud, first of all, because I didn't have enough acting training to back me up. And I cringe to think what my efforts of acting were like back then. <laughs> I was just making it up as I went along. But um, second of all, because I knew my lineage, I knew my background, I knew my calling, I knew my education and what my the values that my family had instilled in me. And I just, Hollywood and the life that I had was quickly being exposed to felt very empty. Nevertheless, I dove right in full throttle. And like, I could, I guess you could say I lost like almost a decade. I dated a guy that was a lot older than me and very successful. He was a big music producer. And I did what a lot of young women do, which is put down their dreams and ambitions for a man. And I jumped on his train and was like, let's see where this takes me. And it took me all around the world to like some really, you know, awesome events and parties with people that, I don't know, I mean, people that Other people might think, oh, wow, cool, you were hanging out with them. But actually what I saw from that world was a lot of emptiness. And I think I balanced the emptiness of the life that I was was living. Well, I wouldn't say balanced. I think I numbed myself to that emptiness with, you know, a lot of numbing behaviors like substances and partying and, and just really losing track of myself and who I was. I like to look back and think that those were learning experiences and I wouldn't be here now without them. But it wasn't really until I hit 30 that I kind of woke up out of this trance and realized like, that's actually not true. It was a little earlier. It was my return of Saturn, so around 28. But I was like, what am I doing? Where are my dreams? Who, like, where is the the person, the woman that I know I am underneath all these layers of like ego and and coolness and like just striving and striving to towards the wrong things, you know? I I had been deeply programmed 
by Hollywood, by my ex and his world into like thinking that I needed to have certain things or appear a certain way. And so that's kind of when my awakening began. And I I was lucky enough to find an amazing community of women around the Spirit Weavers Gathering, which is a a Skillshare up in Oregon started by my friend Maya. And I started to learn how to weave my own baskets and connect to my ancestral roots and ferment my own food. And this year I'm determined to learn how to build a fire by myself and I started realizing there are more important things going on and especially with the earth who I've always had a deep connection to and then really picking up my lineage and what it means to be of Peruvian ancestry and going back to Peru and visiting Machu Picchu and praying at those altars and asking my ancestors to guide me and and show me like what is my mission on this earth and so you know that that relationship fell away and I was able to blossom into the woman that I am now and then uh, create and work success followed and I'm lucky enough to be able now to support myself as an actress. I had this second blossoming in my 30s which is very rare for, for actresses because again that programming is that we lose value as we age, right? So I'm very lucky to be in this position where I am now, where I have a bit of a platform and a following and I get to share my journey with other people, which is this awakening, you know, from this trance of the things that I thought that were important to like really understanding now, like the things that really matter and and the state, the emergency that we are in and how we all need to awaken. So in a big nutshell, that was it. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for sharing all of that. I'm curious to know, was there like one defying moment where you realized you needed to shift things? Was it something someone said to you? Was it a book or a passage? Or was it like a slow awakening? For me, I ended up in hospital in 2010. And that was like this big awakening for me. And I used to be a professional dancer, actress. I did TV presenting and a bit of modeling. And I ended up in hospital and that was like this awakening for me. So I'm curious to know, was there like one defying thing for you or was it like a combination of things? It was definitely a combination of things, but I share that experience of having a huge health crisis, you know, that woke me up. Mine was autoimmune and specifically psoriasis. Me too. I had that too. Yeah. Wow. I have my own theories about all that. Well, well, my theory is, is that we are sick because the earth is sick. And we need to really tune into the origins of these sicknesses so that we can clear them and then be available to heal the earth and all the sicknesses we have inflicted on her. And there's a symbiotic relationship. So for me, it started with the psoriasis and seeking healing around that. And then I found cambo medicine, which is a frog secretion from the Amazon. It's not psychoactive, but I won't go into it too deeply here. Anyone interested can Google it. But that was the beginning of a real, like the quickening of my awakening because it it was cleansing me, cleansing my body of substances and toxins and heavy metal buildup and mercury and all the things that I'd been accumulating from like, you know, eating meat and partying and living a fast lifestyle for, for like almost, you know, at that point, like 12 years. And once that started to clean out, it's when I realized like I just, I, I started having more awareness around the choices I was making in terms of what I was putting into my body, who I was spending my time with, where I was spending my money. Cambo for me was like 
like a, it's like a sword. It comes into your life and it cuts and it clears out all the unnecessary things, which is why I keep going back to it because I don't have any more time to waste on the things that I've been wasting my time on. And I really want to be clear and present and available for what's going on right now. Wow. I've never heard of it. I'm going to do my own research and have a little look into it, but that sounds incredibly fascinating. My fear is like all things, humans will exploit it and then we will exploit this poor frog and it won't exist anymore. So please only research and do this medicine if it's truly calling to you. But yes, for me, it's also a sinking with the natural intelligence of this frog, which has no predators, which lives in the Amazon. The shamans call it down from the tree with a song and it will, it, and they collect the, they tickle it to collect the secretion and then they release it. So that's a really, you're, this is ancient, ancient medicine wisdom from these tribes. They've been cultivating relationships with those, these plants and animals for millennia. So it is a real privilege to be able to tap into that knowledge and to that built-in relationship with the natural world. And it's something that most of us in the West have lost, you know. So that's why I keep going back to it too, because I want that information. I want that intelligence so that I can act accordingly. Yeah, totally agree. I want to talk to you more about how we can reconnect with Mother Nature. But before we go there, I want to just stay on the acting thing that we were just talking about, because you know, I know for me personally, being in that world, I, you cop a lot of no's a lot. You know, you get told no, you go to all these castings, you get told that you're not skinny enough or you're too skinny or your eyes are too big, they're too small, all these things. So I want to know, how did you move through that? And for anyone listening who might not even be in the acting space, but How do you move through those setbacks in your life? Like, what do you do when you are faced with something and how do you move through it? That's a wonderful question, Melissa, because even though not everybody necessarily is an actor, everybody is familiar with rejection and needing to pick yourself up after rejection. And that's one thing I can say that I have not mastered, but that I am pretty good at. (laughs) I've experienced so much rejection. I think... If you look at my IMDb page and all the jobs I have booked, I have probably no more than 10 gigs on there and I've been doing it for 15 years and probably doing like at least 60 auditions a year. So my rejection rate is crazy high. I'm terrible at math, but it's it's pretty... I think this is one of like, this is my karma in this lifetime to learn from failure and to learn from rejection. And it's interesting that that's my karma because that is the thing that I fear the most because, you know, from like a lot of people, I I'm super attached to being validated and being liked and being chosen and being wanted. And so to choose a job where I am like, I'm being told no at like, the, at the deepest level of my essence, it's not like you've submitted a painting and they're like, hey, we're not, your painting is not what we're looking for. It's you personally. Everything about you is not what we're looking for. And I, I experienced that so many times. In the beginning, it was because I was ethnic. That was the word we, that was okay to use back then. And they're like, sorry, we're not going ethnic for this role. But um, if you want to read for the maid or the cop, she's ethnic. I'd be like, okay. So there was that. And then there was like, 
She's not beautiful enough. She's too beautiful. She's too sophisticated. She's not, it's just, there's so many reasons in this industry that they give you to tell you that you're not the one. And it's really easy to buy into that message. And maybe that's why I, I numbed myself for so many years because it was so tough. And I do remember coming home and crying in my bed and asking the universe, why? Why can't I be? I don't know. Whichever actress at the time was booking all the roles. And it's funny because now that I'm 35, I would never wish to be anybody else. And it wasn't really until I truly came into an understanding of my authentic self and how special I am and without the need to change that I started to book the roles that I was meant to book. There's the lesson. Once you stop striving to be someone else, then your path and your karma will find you. Because your karma can't find you if you're trying to be somebody else and pick up someone else's karmic path. So, And that's a lot of what I was doing was trying to be other people. But what got me through it all was my, my interest in spirituality, specifically Buddhism. I read a book called Zen and the Art of Archery. And I, there was a quote from it that said, hitting the mark is the result of the thousand misses. I hope I didn't butcher that. And that I read I read that and I I just felt so I I remember I started crying these tears of relief to know that like I'm not alone. People out there trying to master their craft are going to fail a thousand times before they hit the bullseye that one time. And that's what mastery is and we don't value that. And you know what? A lot of the rejection was because I was too my ego would not let me admit that I needed help and I needed to study and that I wasn't innately good. I think we put so much expectation on people to be like naturals. Well, I'm not a natural. I needed to study very hard and I resisted that for a long time. So once I understood the concept of mastery and that this was my art and that I was going to dedicate myself to it and truly study, then the failures became lessons. And then I welcomed them because I, I my attitude changed and it wasn't this inherent no against me. It was a a lesson that I could learn from if I shifted my mentality to a growth mindset rather than this fixed mindset of, oh my God, they've, they've said that I'm not perfect or I don't have it. Like nobody has it. Everyone has to work for it. So that shift, the growth mindset and the fixed mindset, I think that's from another book that I can't remember now, but we'll put in the links later because that was a really good one. It was something, The Art of Learning, I think, by Josh Wakens. I'll get that right. But he talks about that, having that growth mindset so that you can learn from your failure. That book really helped me as well. Yeah. And now, so I see it like as a, you know, and then last year, I just finish it off because this is like, a story that I love to tell. It's like the most public rejection of my life, but I was recast in a role. I was on a show called Dynasty and they offered me the role. I never got to audition for it. And as the season progressed, I think everybody was kind of realizing that I wasn't quite right for the material and the tone. And I was, you know, I was trying as much as I knew how to try it at that point but it, it just wasn't working and they were right. It was not the right material for me. But the way they did it was was like pretty shocking and a bit, you know, it was devastating at the time to be told, hey, you're not coming back. 
And then we're going to cast another actress in your role and give her the same name. And like, <laughs> and you're going to die in a fire with a gunshot wound to like never return. Like, it was intense and it was public. And I, just when I thought that I was done with the rejection, that I had like somehow made it and it was like untouchable. And it was the biggest, most beautiful lesson in my life so far, because that really made me realize like, we're never done. We're never done learning. We're never done learning this particular lesson that rejection teaches us. And I, and, and you know what, by then I knew to just surrender and bow to it and be like, okay, what do I need to learn? And I would say a lot of my big shifts came out of that too. And I wouldn't have the role I have now, had I not learned what I, what I did during that time, that dark time. Oh, and did you die in a fire? Is that what happened? Dead in a fire, shot in the <laughs> abdomen, no chance of returning. Oh my gosh. Okay. And then you had to deal with people saying, what happened? I loved your character. Why did they kill you? And it was like that public thing was intense. I'd never had it on a public level, you know? That was intense, but it was good. Now I love talking about it. And people are like, can you shut up about this big rejection story? Because it's for me, it's this like big teaching opportunity. But I'm like, everything I can, I just love sharing it. I'm like, let me tell you about the time I was publicly humiliated. No, I think I think it's so important that you share these stories. So thank you for the sharing. The vulnerability. Oh my gosh, exactly. And you know what? We all have these wounds, whether it's the rejection wound, the abandonment wound, we all have these wounds. And through life, I feel like at different times, they're like bruises and they're going to get pushed on. And, you know, over time, it's usually with hindsight that you reflect back and you're like, oh, I, that didn't hurt as much as it did five years ago. And so you realize that that wound has healed a little bit. And there's not as much scar tissue around that wound. And I think, you know, remembering that we all have these wounds, like you're not alone. If you feel like you have a bigger rejection wound than someone else, it doesn't matter. You know, we all have these things. You're not broken. You're not alone. And I just want everybody to know that and to feel that because I think that feeling of like, I am the only one, I am broken a lot of women especially feel, and it's just not the case. Well, that's the pain, the pain of separation and feeling alone. And it's because we live in this society, especially with social media, where this projection of the perfect life is like so important and anything. And I, I, I put my hand up, like that was part of the pain of it. I was like, this doesn't fit on my Instagram feed. Like, this is not the story I want to tell. And I regret not sharing more of it, you know, while I was hurting. But, you know, I was, I was licking my wounds and then trying to project that I wasn't. And so I just want everybody to know that everyone does that. And, you know, if we can all just open up about our vulnerability a little more, then we can find comfort in community. Mm, absolutely. So beautiful. You said something really powerful before, and that was how... In your 30s, you have really stepped into who you truly are and you're so much more comfortable in your own skin. And I was thinking about myself and I remember in my late teens and all, most of my 20s until I hit my sudden return, I was always uncomfortable in my own skin and trying to be someone else and 
never really loved myself. And now, you know, I'm in my 30s as well. And I just, I feel so grateful that I'm at a place where I love who I am. I love being in my skin. I love myself. That doesn't mean that I don't have moments where I'm like down or frustrated or things like that. I have those moments, but it's such a different place to in my early 20s where I was constantly trying to change myself or to fix myself. And I look at you and your Instagram and and even chatting to you now, and you can really feel that you are comfortable in your own skin, that you embody who you truly are. So what advice would you have for younger girls or women who may not be fully comfortable in their own skin yet? What can they do to get there? This is an interesting one for me to give advice on because part of being young is learning from trial and error. And so there's no kind of magic pill that I can offer right now that is going to change the fact that in your 20s is a time for learning, you know? So I think if I could impart any wisdom around that, it would be to really cultivate a loving relationship with yourself those boys or those men that you are trying so desperately to please and to prune and shape yourself for so that they'll like you, they will come and go, trust me. But your relationship with yourself will endure your whole lifetime. So it's a good time to start to look at that now and observe, observe your your thoughts. Take some time, take some space and watch Watch your thoughts and and question, is this coming from an authentic place or is this programming that is not mine, that I can let go of? I knew a lot of, in my 20s, I knew that I was not coming from an authentic place and that's why I was in a lot of turmoil and I think that's why I needed to numb myself a lot because I was not in alignment with who I knew I really was. So I could hear that voice, but I chose not to listen. So it's okay to, 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 it's okay to have inner conflict like that. Be kind to yourself around it. You know, we're all going through this right now. We live in an intensely patriarchal society in every single way. Men are at the top of the, of every single supply chain and pyramid. Men are, are, are making money from quote unquote fashion telling us that to be cool, we need to buy something new every season. Otherwise, people won't like us. That's a man pocketing the money from that kind of scheme. You know, that's a full con, that's a full con artist scheme that we're swallowing. And I participated in it for a long time. You know, men are the ones at the moment, it's changing, but men are generally the ones at the head of the studios and the networks deciding who gets on television, who gets representation on screen so that, you know, we're, now we're all morphing into the same person with surgery. So we're pretty much only seeing like one version or very few versions of quote unquote beauty on television and and movies. So when you are comparing yourself to this unrealistic version of a woman, ask yourself, is is that right? Like, should we be doing that? Should I, or or should I be questioning this as, as programming that is not mine? So yeah, I I just say to the young women, question everything. Like right now I'm growing out my armpit hair and my leg hair and the hair all over my body, except my eyebrows, which I I just, I'm not ready for the unibrow yet. (laughs) But 
I can because I'm not on a show anymore where I had to be so intensely manicured. And it is a, it, today I told a guy friend in the sauna and he almost couldn't look at my legs. He was like, oh, well, that's, that's bold. And I said, and I, I, I saw like how deep the programming was for him. And I was like, you know what? I don't need to subscribe to that anymore. I, and I want a guy who would want to touch my legs with all the hair. Like, so, you know, I'm 35. Like, I'm sure there are girls in their 20s going to be listening to this rolling their eyes. Like, well, that's because you're an old lady and you don't care anymore. <laughs> but just saying, like, the programming affects all of us. It's interesting to try to, like, un- unpack it and deprogram and see who, who you really are underneath in an authentic way. Question every belief. Question every everything. When I had my rock bottom moment in 2010, I literally wrote down all of these beliefs that I had. And I literally put a little line next to them. I was like, that's dad's, that's mom's, that's my grandmother's, that was my school teacher's, that was my year nine English teacher's. I literally was like, I had this exercise book full of beliefs that weren't even mine. But For some people, that might have been very overwhelming. For me, it was exciting because I thought, oh my goodness, I can rewrite all of my own beliefs. I can create my own story. And that was so exciting for me. So for everyone listening, question every belief that you have and make sure it's true for you. And also know that they will change. They will grow as you grow, as you go along your journey. And that's okay too. You're allowed to change your mind about things. And something that you have changed your mind over, which I've observed over the last little while, is your transition more toward a plant-based way of living. And you say that you're an influencer for the planet, which I absolutely love. You are a crusader for Mother Nature, and you've recently been speaking out toward your transition to a more conscious, mindful, plant-based way of living and eating. So can you talk to us about why you made this decision and how it's gone for you? I'd love to talk about this because it goes back to programming and my whole life had just like when people said like would you ever be a vegetarian my immediate reaction was no I can't well because we need meat and well I'm blood type O and like and I'm paleo autoimmune I had all these stories and it wasn't until the fires in Australia well actually the fires started in the Amazon first and then, uh, and then also the fires in Australia that really solidified my determination to to, to stick with plant based. That was a catalyst for me because there is a direct connection between animal agriculture and the drought and deforestation and dead zones all around the world. This is irrefutable that factory farming of animals is terrible for the earth. And I couldn't continue to be this like, you know, this this persona on Instagram that used Mother Nature as a backdrop for photos. And and was like, I love Mother Nature, Pachamama, and still be partaking in this destructive cycle, you know? And once I just eliminated that story in my mind, like that I need meat, I realized that I didn't. If I and I, I'm doing it right. I'm not saying that like every vegetarian person is is healthy. That's not true. I know a lot of very unhealthy vegetarian people. And if you are gonna make this transition, I encourage you to really do your research and I can we can add some links to people who are, you know, like Gemma, Compassionate Rose. And I think Plant Proof is another one providing really good information and recipes, etc. But yeah, I just really wanted to walk the talk. However, 
I want to say that when I was eating meat, I did not appreciate other people telling me what to eat. And I also, I think that we naturally all have are really triggered when people tell us to eat more vegetables. It's like we're still seven-year-old kids underneath. And when someone says, you just have to eat vegetables for the rest of your life, we go, F you. Who are you to tell me that? So I want to be really careful about my approach and say, like, I don't expect everybody to like go through this like overnight transformation like I did. And if you are feeling called to experiment with plant-based, and that's why I like to say plant-based and not vegan, because plant-based means like based in plants. But if you need, if you absolutely need your meat, then I encourage you to really do some research about where it comes from. Because I also don't think that I believe we need animals. So this is another thing that I'm very passionate about and and really learning about now is regenerative farming. This is how we're going to save the earth. And I'm sure most of our listeners don't know this, but in, a, in America, modern agriculture has been so damaging to the soil that they're estimating only 60 harvests left before it all erodes. So this is very troubling. And why why are we depleting the soil so much? Because we're growing these monocrops, corn and soy, GMO corn and soy and, and, and wheat and stuff. And most of that is for feed for animals, for factory farming. So we need to shift the whole the whole way we eat, the whole way we grow food. And when you bring regenerative farming into it, it is you need animals. You need animals to make the earth like cows are actually really positive for the earth in in a regenerative farming context, okay? Because th- their hooves, they like they they help the soil and I'm not saying that we can't eat them ever again, but we cannot eat them factory farmed and a lot of us are going to have to just give it up completely. So basically what I'm saying is if you are able to give up meat completely and go fully plant-based, you are being a warrior for the planet and you are making possibly the most impactful decision you can to be in service to her and to help her, to help ease the burden we're putting on her right now. And if you can't, and you absolutely must have your meat, be conscious about it. Where is it coming from? Do your research, look into regenerative farming. And, you know, this is a time for us all, especially with this coronavirus and us realizing how vulnerable we are in terms of our food and the supply chain and what happens when it gets cut off. You know, we don't have access to food anymore. We need to be learning how to farm. We need to be learning how to grow our own food. We need to be learning where animals fit into that in a regenerative farming context. So if you do need to eat your meat, go work on a farm, go see what that's like and go and, and figure out how to do it in the most conscious, sustainable way possible. I think that's so important that you mentioned that because our choices, every choice, we vote with our dollar. And I am a conscious consumer and I feel like I have two questions that I ask myself before I purchase anything. And the first one is, do I really need this? And will this bring me joy? And when I ask myself those things, most of the time I'm like, you know what? I actually don't need that thing. And no, it's not going to bring me joy. And so I think we vote with our dollar Every time you are purchasing something, you are saying that you believe in that. You believe in that company. You believe in their values, their ethos. And 
if you peeked behind the curtains of what is actually going on in these factory farms, I am sure you would not want to be putting your money there. And so just do your research, do your research, make the best choice for you and your family and be educated so that you can make the best decision for you and your family. I have to interrupt this conversation to tell you about one of today's podcast sponsors, Blue Blocks. Now, if you follow me on social media, you will know that I love wearing my blue light blocking glasses every single day because they help alleviate digital eye strain, keep your hormones balanced, and help you get a deeper, more restorative sleep. I love Blue Blocks because they are backed by science and made in Australia, which means they are very high quality and not mass produced. All their glasses come in readers, prescription and non-prescription. And you can even send in your own frames and have them add their lens technology to your frames. And for every pair purchased, they donate a pair of reading glasses to Restoring Vision, who then gift them to someone in need in the developing countries. How awesome is that? So to get 15% off, head to blueblocks.com. That's B-L-U-B-L-O-X.com and enter the code MELISSA at the checkout. Now let's get back to the conversation. So I would love now to flip the spotlight on you a little bit more and I want to know what is your definition of success and what do you attribute your success to? Because everyone, I believe everyone has a different definition of success. So I'd love to hear what is that for you and what do you attribute it to? Well, what it's not is what we've been programmed to believe is success, which is accumulating a lot of possessions and, you know, traveling to lots of different places without thought for the environment or the impact and yeah, living wastefully. That's, that's basically what we hold up, you know, in our, in our culture as successful. And I don't like to speak badly about it any other women. But, you know, look at the the family of women that, um, I think there are five of them, I don't know. But, you know, that we, we, we hold up as pillars of quote-unquote success. Do the opposite of that. So for me, it's like, how can I detach from my need to accumulate things and feel less attachment to my possessions and give as much of give as much as I can away so that I don't feel like I'm I'm tied that my happiness is tied to these things how can I live a life free from those attachments how can I stay put as much as possible knowing that staying at home is doing my part for the earth and make up for all the times that I didn't and I flew on a whim to places just because I could and how can I live in alignment with my beliefs? And how, how little do I need to compromise to live my life? That Those are the markers of success for me now. So beautiful. I love that. And I think it's really important that we do, like we were speaking about before, we challenge our beliefs, we question our beliefs because I realized that I had my dad's definition of success and it wasn't until I hit rock bottom that I was like, hang on, what does Melissa believe? 
to be successful? What do I believe? So question everything. It's so important and create your own beliefs and live in accordance to them. Yeah, I love that. Create your own. Don't just follow this programming that says you can only be happy if you buy this or if you inject your face with this or if you just, you know, do this about your appearance or like we're just constantly in a desire state where we think that if we do this or buy that, we're going to achieve some kind of happiness. And it takes us out of the present moment and finding contentment in the present. And that's really where I, what I'm aiming to do. Having been somebody that has always projected my happiness into some imagined future when something was different. Yeah, totally. It's the, I'll be happy when I have the car. I'll be happy when I have the partner, when I have the money, when I get the role. And that is a very long and painful and torturous road to go down. I've been there. And I remember a couple of years ago, I realized that I had an attachment to my things, like particularly my my clothes. You know, I had worked hard to be able to buy nice clothes and I remember feeling like attached to them. So I purposely wanted to stretch myself and I do this often and it's uncomfortable. Don't get me wrong. It's really uncomfortable. But I realized that I had this attachment. So I intentionally gave away a lot of my things. Like my girlfriends would come over and I'd just be like, here, 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 take this, do that. And I would go over to their houses with bags and bags of clothes. And I would feel sometimes this like pull of attachment. And I'm just like, it's just things. It's just, you can't take those things to the next life with you. And it really was very eye-opening for me because it forced me to look at where I had these attachments and to release my attachment of them and move through that. Because at the end of the day, all of our material things we cannot take with us. They are just things. And yeah, you can't take them with you to the next world. Exactly. And they they keep you up at night in this world. <laughs> like the more things you have, the more worries you have about if you can keep them, if you if you can accumulate more, if something happens to them. I've always been good about giving my clothes away because I always knew that some new ones would, you know, come back into my life. I call it like clothes karma. I'm at a place now where I'm ready to give it, give a lot away and not take anything in return because I'm really interested in living sufficiently and asking myself the question of what is sufficient and why do I feel the need to have more? What, why does that give me security? And is that a, a real lasting security or is, or is that hollow? You know, and so I'm actually in the process. Well, the virus has put a little dent in our plans, but I have been in the process of organizing a massive clothing swap and I'm going to call it a solidarity swap. And I want to like replicate them. Hopefully I can do one in Australia, but it's just to encourage women and hopefully expand to men too, to break up with the system of fashion that we're currently in, which I have been really linked to, you know, watching fashion shows and like really supporting brands. And, and I, I, I know that I, I still believe in their creativity and there's nothing wrong with these designers and, and, and who they are personally and their creative offering to the world, but just the model that 
where that they do it in and that we're existing in, which is, you know, this unsustainable model of seasons and trends and what that is doing to the earth that I've only just recently tuned into is so destructive. It, it, it keeps me up at night to imagine what I have contributed to that cycle and that belief that you've got to have something new and and cool and trendy and what, you know, what you may have bought five years ago, it doesn't work anymore. And so I, I want to hold these swaps where you bring, you know, your, your items of clothing and you, it's just, it's a clothing swap and have it be full of like education to like educate people like on other ways to be to feel like you're you're still participating in fashion without feeding that destructive cycle and hopefully by because what you said was true how you spend your consumer dollar matters but it's also important where you don't spend it and by boycotting the fashion industry, we can make them step up and take responsibility for their output, for the for the overconsumption that they encourage, and switch to like more regenerative textiles and 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 maybe a more regenerative way of of using clothes, upcycling. Why do we need to make more fabric? There's so many clothes in the world. If we just stopped making them, there'd still be enough. For, to clothe us. It's this insect, we're like, it's like we were saying, it's just feeding this belief that, that something in the future is going to make us happy. So yeah, I want to organize these solidarity swaps for people who still want to like, you know, look good and feel like they're having, they have something novel, even though it might not be new and stand in solidarity with the plants and the trees and the animals and the earth and the water. I love that. My girlfriends and I do clothing swaps all the time. Every time we catch up, we all bring a bag of goodies and we're just like, who wants this? Who wants this? And we just give it away. We know, you know, if we want to wear it again another time, we know where it is, but it's such a beautiful thing to do. And majority of the time, you know, I end up wearing active wear or a bikini. And so it's a great thing to do is like, you know, get your clothes out there and you're ahead of the game. Yeah. In the hands of people that, you know, can can really benefit from them. So I love that. If you are listening to this, organize a clothing swap with your girlfriends. And tag yes. solidarity swap and let's make it a thing. You know, 70% yes. of our closets are sitting unused of the clothes in our closet. You know, and that that's the amount that the amount that goes into landfill every year is crazy. And ladies, if you do want to donate your clothes, look for a textile recycler. Don't just throw it in the trash. That's really bad. For that, that 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 that's not good for the landfill. And start paying attention to what your clothes are made of. You know, I realize this is another thing. Your microbiome, which is something you talked about in one of your podcast episodes, it's really affected me. Affects all your choices. And now that I've cut out meat and I've made drastic changes in my lifestyle, I walk into my closet and I'm like, "What was I on when I bought this top made of petrochemicals? It doesn't suit me anymore." You know. That said, I don't want it to go into the trash. I want it to stay in this circular fashion economy and I will re-gift or even rent. Now there are renting platforms. If you don't want to like just give, if you don't want to, I'm not ready to let go of that item of clothing, but please ladies follow accounts like FashRev, which is Fashion Revolution and learn, educate yourself about the reality of, of fashion and the industry. Yeah, that is such an important point. I love it. Please, if you're listening, organize a clothing swap. And I never throw anything out. Like, I mean, my husband has a singlet, which has got holes all in it 
for the Americans. That's a tank top. And it's got holes everywhere. And I'm like, no, no, I'm going to cut that up and I'm going to use it as cloths, like cleaning cloths and things like that. So, and I know you're very passionate about zero waste and, and living a zero waste. And so am I. It's something that I've really, really been mindful of over the last two years. Really mindful, like started composting and just doing my part, you know, shopping at the markets and at bulk stores. Like there are so many little things that you can do to contribute to living a zero waste lifestyle. And I want anyone listening, I've done a podcast on it, so I'll link to it in the show notes, but this doesn't mean you have to be perfect, like completely zero waste. What really inspired me was I was searching zero waste on YouTube and I discovered this family in Tasmania, a family of five, a husband, wife, and three daughters. And two years of their waste could fit in one bull mason jar. And there was this YouTube video on them. And I was so inspired by what they did. I'll link to it in the show notes. You have to go and watch it because I just thought if a family of five can have one bull mason jar full of their rubbish for two years, like guys, there's a lot more that we can be doing. And so I've given heaps of tips in my episode. So go and listen to that. But there's so many things. You can just Google how to live zero waste. And there's so many things that you can be doing. And if we all just did one, two or three things each day, it would make such a huge impact on our beautiful mother earth. And I want to encourage you to just maybe pick one thing this week and do it. And then next thing, compost. And the week, you know, the week after, do something else. And Soon you will notice, wow, look at all of these amazing changes that I have made in my life that are affecting me, they're affecting the planet, they're impacting my family, they're not burning a hole in my wallet. Like it's so important. So I know that you are so passionate about living zero waste as well. So anyone who's listening, if you're inspired to live zero waste, then please educate yourself and, and get out there and do what you can in your home. And thank you for mentioning those resources because it can feel really overwhelming because we live in a society that is so addicted to convenience and plastic. We're becoming plastic. Like we actually are. We're eating fish that's filled with microplastics and now we're turning into plastic robots. So it feels daunting to just detach yourself from what is considered normal. But that's that's how we change what's normal and what's not. And, you know, I envision a future where you are, where accepting or even having a plastic spoon or straw is like, <gasps> is awful, where you're the weirdo, you know? Yeah. It's just, how come three generations ago, our, our you know, grandparents and great grandparents, they did okay without it? You know, why are we so attached to this convenience? So just, again, programming, really think like, do I need to live this way? Look, there's a great account, Corinne Le Perfidio. I'm going to I'm gonna also include her in the show notes, but she's really inspired, uh, somebody in the zero waste movement that's really inspiring me. And she has a challenge where collect all your trash for a month and lay it out 
and take a photo next to it. I'm too ashamed to do this because although I, I aspire to zero waste lifestyle, I'm definitely not there yet. Cat food is a big one that I'm still trying to figure out and kitty litter, you know, but like if you take a photo, I might try to do it for like a week and really look like sit in accountability for your waste output. That, that, that should hopefully really shift things, you know, when you just look at that and you times that by the amount of times you've thrown trash into the bin and not thought about where it went. We think that the bin is some magic portal where things disappear. This is what my <laughs> friend Tansy says. <laughs> it's like, it's not this magic portal where you can just throw things away and like, it doesn't have an impact and you never have to think about it again. That's going somewhere into a landfill and our landfills are at capacity. So anyway, I could talk about that forever, but I, I Everyone knows how we both feel about that. And yes, thank you for sharing those resources. Yeah, we'll link to everything in the show notes. You mentioned before, you know, having all this stuff and how it pulls you out of the present moment. So I'd love to hear, how do you stay present? Do you meditate? What are some of your practices to bring you back to the present moment? Yes, I do. I I do practice mindful meditation, like observing my breath. Not as much as I would like because my morning routine is already so long and full of so many different modalities. And I find that like doing, well, Kundalini has really been a a big, has, has been really expansive for me. I've only started practicing that in the last five months. And what I love about it is it incorporates breath and movement as kind of like a, a moving meditation. And so I feel like I get my, I get grounded in the present moment while I'm doing specific breath work, which is targeted on like certain areas of my life and my body. So yeah, Kundalini meditations and breath work, Qigong, I'm really loving my Qigong. That keeps me really, really present as well. Tea ceremony. I love my tea ceremony. I have lots of practices. I have to choose. I have to wake up and decide what am I going to to do today because I have so many modalities. Right now I'm committing to a 40-day Kundalini challenge. So I'm doing something for my throat chakra because I find that a lot of women are blocked there. Our whole lives we've been told to you know, be nice and and not rock the boat and not speak up and not own our truths, and yeah, and I'm I, I, and I'm one of them. So, yeah, I'm doing a forty day throat chakra kundalini meditation, which includes some wonderful breath work, which keeps me really present and creative. Beautiful. I love kundalini. I went through a stage where I did it for years and I haven't revisited it. But when I did do it, I loved it. It was so powerful. And yeah, showed me a lot of stuff that I needed to look at and heal. So it's a very powerful healing modality, that's for sure. Yeah. And it's not for everybody and it's not for every time of your life, you know, like you've probably found something now which is more suitable for you. And I'm not saying I'm going to do it forever, but I need that kind of activation and clearing right now. And then I also balance it with a lot of yin and hatha as well. So I'm not just doing that, but yeah, it can be powerful for those looking to really activate. Yeah. Beautiful. Okay. Talk us through your morning routine now. Tell us how, I mean, you would definitely not have a standard day, but when you're not filming and when you're kind of just in your normal day life, can you talk us through your day, how it looks and in particular your morning routine from start to finish? I'd love to hear. 
Well, yes. So now that I'm not filming 14-hour days, I have the luxury of being able to do all this. So I have a natural alarm clock, my cats, that wake me up at 5 a.m. to be fed. And I let them because I want to wake up at this time. So while I am preparing their food, I'm also doing mouth the um, oil pulling. And that's the first thing I do is I really take the time to kind of clean my mouth, scrape my tongue and like prepare that chamber for the meditation that I will then do, which is either Kundalini or Qigong. And the a lot of the Qigong work involves holding my retaining all my saliva during my form so that at the end I very intentionally swallow it and take that into my Dantian and which is the lower part of my body where all my jing, which is like your sexual energy resides. So I'm really working with that energy in this particular qigong form. So for that, you want your mouth to be really clean. So that's another reason why that's very important to me in the morning. So kundalini qigong, potentially some tea and some divination, like some qi, uh, like the I Ching is a form of divination that I work with a lot that helps me make a lot of decisions. Then I would do some kind of like like more vigorous movement potentially and awesome myofascial release on my balls. So, and I work a lot on my stomach. I, I just, I, we all carry so much in our stomach, especially women. I'm somebody that's tended to, that tends to hold a lot of stuff in there and have a lot of like wound up tension. So I'll do some ball work on my stomach or get in there with my hands. Yeah. And then, then comes the, like the beautifying time. So then I go up to my room and I go in, I go in on my face with my gua sha tools and my massager and I work on the fascia in my face and in my neck because, you know, I'm really on the natural beauty train now. I have a responsibility now being in the public eye to be an example of what a natural face looks like with its full expression. And so I have to, it's my responsibility now to take care of it in the best way and most natural ways possible because I'm going to be an example for natural beauty. So yeah, I spend a lot of time in these self-care practices on my face. So yeah, a lot of releasing around my neck and I can link to my friend Sandra who has Lanshan, who that's her company with her gua sha tools and she has a lot of good tutorials. Yeah, and I spend like a good like 30 minutes doing my neck and my face and then all my serums and creams. And then if I have time, I'm trying to do this every day. I do a bianga, which is the oil, the oil all over my whole body and maybe a dry brush and a sauna. That's in a good day. And by that time, it's like 1 p.m. It's time for me to break my fast. <laughs> <laughs> and eat, do some kitty play, lots of writing and working on some exciting new projects, what making really conscious content. I want to be writing and producing that in the future. And then, yeah, it's afternoon time by then and it's time for some more myofascial release before bed. Oh, beautiful heaven. I really want to get into all of those. The gua sha. Yes. And the rollers and all of those things on your face. I I'm really lazy when it comes to face stuff. I don't cleanse. I don't really tone. I'm really lazy. But my husband actually said to me the other day, he's like, babe, I think you should start looking after your skin properly. And I was like, what do you mean? And he's like, no, well, you know, it's just you spend a lot of time in the sun. And I was like, yeah, I do. I spend a lot of time outside in nature. And anytime I have got an organic facial, they say to me, your skin's very dehydrated. 
So I think I will start to look after it a bit more, give it a bit more love. And yeah, I'm a big advocate for the natural stuff as well. You, you know, do not put chemicals on your body. Do not. Do you have any favorite brands that you use for your face? Yes, I love Living Libations and her book, Nadine's book, Radical Beauty is really life-changing and she has some interesting theories on sun exposure. So read into that because vitamin D is really important. It's The key is when you're exposing your face to the sun. So you need that early morning light is really good for our skins. So if you're going to get out there into the sun, get that early morning light into your skin and you can build up a tolerance and then obviously avoid midday. And so uh, Living Libations, my friend Shiva Rose, uh, she has her products, um, Local Rose, are really beautiful and conscious. And Poppy and Someday is another really good brand that's Ayurvedic based. What else am I using? And then Lanshan has all the tools. And and actually, there's a great book by Marie Veronique, whose products I also like, called Yoga for the Face or Yoga. Yeah. And that's kind of where, that's where I'm at right now, which is how muscles and fascia and musculature affects the quality of your of your face and the and the elasticity and how all the tenseness we're carrying in our pecs and in our chest then our neck is pulling our face down and that's what's causing your jowls and the wrinkles around your mouth and so if you can start to like give the attention to that part of your body your chest and your neck you watch the I've I've seen it on my own face. I've watched the quality change and and I've seen like some fine lines disappear because there's not that tension pulling it down anymore. And I do a lot I'm doing a lot of jaw work and internal massage in my mouth now to also help with that. And I'll link to another woman Noise Skincare. She has a lot of great tutorials on how to do that self massage in your mouth. I really believe you don't need to go and spend a lot of money on facials and stuff, even though I do because that's my job and I try to claim it as a business expense. But I, if, if I were to cut that out, I, I'm confident I could do like 90% of that by myself at home using these techniques. Great. Thank you for all of those. We'll link to everything in the show notes. Nadine has actually been on this podcast, so I'll link to that episode too. Yeah, she's incredible. So wow, you've done so many. I haven't caught up to that one yet. Yes. You've got a lot of catching up to do. So I believe that we are students for life and you mentioned before about having the growth mindset. So I want to know what are you working on within yourself at the moment or what would you like to improve or what's going on for you within at the moment that you're consciously working on? A wonderful question. I'm really working on understanding femininity in its true essence and what it means to embody the feminine in this intensely masculine patriarchal world and observing the ways when I have not come from that place of femininity, which is what are the qualities of the feminine? Nonviolence, compassion, empathy, stillness, receptivity, listening, kindness. I will admit that I'm, you know, as programmed 
as the rest of us when it comes to what we think a successful, powerful woman looks like. And, you know, for a long time that meant earning my own money and calling the shots. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I feel like the way that I'm, I have gone about it and has been not true to my feminine essence. And yeah, a lot of my interactions with people and friendships and relationships have had the, you know, have been not helped by me coming from a really aggressive masculine place because that's again this programming that's just what we do you know I'm gonna stand my ground and this is my point of view and my way or the highway I know I'm right and like you know this is just what I've absorbed from from society and people around me and I'm really trying to be still and 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 listen and learn from the stillness, what it means to be receptive and a container for ideas instead of always having to push them on people. So that's something I'm really working on because I have struggled with it in the past, being bossy. (laughs) What star sign are you? Libra sun, rising Capricorn, moon in Aquarius. Venus in Scorpio. Oh, wow. And you are a, in human design, you're a manifester? I'm a manifester. Yep. Yes. I'm a generator. So yeah. I love human design. It's incredible. It's fascinating. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Have you, have you managed to live in your design, like understand it and yeah? I am, I am living in my design. I am totally in my design and I love learning more and more about it. I only know a lot about generators and manifestors and manifesting generators only because there's a lot of them in my life. My husband's a manifesting generator. A lot of my best friends are manifesting generators and generators. So I want to dive deep into reflectors and projectors as well. But um, I've had Jenna Zoe, who's an incredible human design expert on my podcast. You should listen to that episode. Please, maybe I'll get a session with her because I really want to dive in more as well. It's fascinating have a session with her. She's incredible. Because I'm realizing a lot of the problems that I have as a manifester is that I'm like, in terms of like ideas and creativity, especially now that I've cut out the meat, oh my God, the creative downloads will not stop. I'm always 10 steps ahead of people and then people feel, and that's not, that's just because that that's how fast my, my the ideas are flowing. And then people feel left behind or left out because, you know, I really need to, as a manifester, inform and let people know here's where I'm at instead of just being like to my team, hey guys, I'm moving to a regenerative farm in Puerto Rico. I won't be taking auditions. And uh, yeah, you can find me there. They're like, what? We would have liked to have been in on the process. And so I'm learning to kind of like, you know, let people know as it happens so that I'm not just like dumping like, you know, big changes in onto them. Yes. Yeah. Definitely have a session with her and listen to that episode. It's so good. Okay. Let's pretend now that you have a magic wand and you could put one book in the school curriculum of every high school around the world. What's the one book that you would choose? I'm going to cheat and do two books. Okay. You can cheat. <laughs> because the, the two that I'm reading now and they're really powerful. First one is We Are the Weather by Jonathan Safran Foer. Have you read that yet? No, I haven't. Wonderful. Basically linking, it's about eating animals and, and the weather and, and their connection. And he, had, he wrote a book called Eating Animals about the horrors of animal factory farming. 
but in in his in this book, We Are the Weather, he admits to still sneaking a burger at the airport every now and then. And he talks about like how hard it is to step away. And and he talks about World War II when we were threatened with this like massive emergency, worldwide emergency of this Nazi threat. We we st- well americans stepped up and said okay we're going to ration we're going to turn our, all our lights off we're going to drive at 35 miles an hour to save gas we're going to all grow victory gardens we're going to be thrifty with our resources and he's like why can't we do that now we're in a climate emergency it's more abstract than world war 2 which is why it's hard to convince people of the need to do this but it's really interesting way of like just looking at what we are capable of when we step it up and go into emergency mode and then the next one is the chalice and the blade which is a book that it's reexamining archaeology around Mesopotamia and old Europe where they've discovered hundreds of goddess figurines and what male archaeologists have not been too interested the story that they have not really been interested in telling is that before there was this monotheistic worship one god culture there was goddess worship and what that means is that these are societies where the feminine was revered and qualities of the feminine were upheld and the societies that were not patriarchal, but they were matriarchal and matrilinear, which is not to say that women dominated men. We think because we currently live in this dominator society where men dominate over women, that that's the only way and that the other option is women dominate over men. When you have these matrilineal societies where descendants is is determined from the mother and matriarchal where women are in places of power, what you see is not a dominator model, but a partnership model. And when you look at the archaeology of these societies that existed with the goddess worship and under these matriarchal partnership models, what what, what do you find? Well, what you don't find in the archaeology are weapons of war and evidence of slavery. Okay. What you do find is that wealth was distributed equally. And ancient Crete is a great example. There was not a big difference between rich and poor. Money was used wisely for the well-being of the people and the earth and being wise with their resources because they weren't spending all this money on war and, and, and conquering and slavery. And so what did they have time for? If you look at the frescoes from Crete, they were in ceremony, offering offering food, dancing, uh, acrobatics, doing somersaults off the balls. I mean, it wasn't, there's no such thing as utopia, but it was the closest thing I could imagine that humans have, you know, had since living in harmony with nature, not wasting resources on violence. And yeah, sadly, more patriarchal tribes came and, and, and destroyed those goddess worshiping cultures. And so what I'm saying is like, not that, okay, we need to go back and worship the goddess. Although I personally am doing that. <laughs> like I want to know more about these goddesses because this idea of one patriarchal God has got us into a big mess. And, and in terms of how we view the world and as a place that we need to dominate and, you know, and, and, and use up these resources in, in, in really just 
thoughtless ways. I want the goddess is regenerative. The feminine is regenerative. The feminine does not think wastefully. She's like, how can we use these resources wisely? So I'm just saying, you know, it may not be that you're going to like, you know, start a goddess temple, although I wish. I wish we would, but just even to think about like femininity and feminine values. And so I think that book is really important to put in high schools and teach children that there's, you know, question, you know, we didn't always live like this. We can, we can go back. We can find balance again. And uh, yeah, look at the archaeology. There, there are times in, in, in human history where we did live in, in a more symbiotic, regenerative relationship with the earth. Mm, beautiful. I'm going to send you my second book, Open Wide, where I talk a lot about the masculine and the feminine energies. And I talk about the different goddess archetypes and things like you will love it. So I'll send that to you. You know all about this. Yeah, it's the best. I mean, it's changed the way that I show up in my marriage, understanding the masculine and the feminine energies and the goddess archetypes and things like that. It's just helped me so much in my relationship. And before this knowledge, I felt like I was floundering. I truly did feel like I was floundering. And now I feel so deeply connected to my own, what I call my God essence. And I feel really connected to that. And when I get too much in my masculine, I've disconnected from my God essence. And so you will love my second book. I'm going to send it to you for sure. I I this is this is the information I have been seeking. This is amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, we need different stories. We need to we need the different narratives so we can get ourselves out of this mess. So I welcome that help. Thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. You spoke a little bit about dancing. I know that you love dancing and I can imagine that it makes you feel free and you know, I mean, tell me, tell me why you dance, why you love expressing yourself like that and what it does for you. For me, dancing is very spiritual. It's that, 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 that is coming into the present moment for me. If I'm doing it right, there, you know, there's that kind of dancing where you're looking around and trying to be cool and seeing what everyone else is doing. That that's not real dancing. Then there's the kind of dancing where you, like the saying says, dance like nobody's watching and are fully embodied. And there's something really powerful too about people coming together and sharing a rhythm. Dancing is just so, it, it exists across all cultures throughout history. Why is that so important to humanity? And that question fascinates me. And when I was 16, I started Brazilian dancing and that samba. And then I also learned other folkloric Latin American dances. And that really changed my life. Now I'm getting interested in Gaga, which is like a, a more um, abstract form of dancing and inhabiting your body. And these things, these modalities are important to humans. Why? Because our bodies are tools for expression. And I really worry that all the sitting at our computers, going to the cars, sitting at our desks, we're limiting ourselves in terms of our expression and movement. And that's limiting our capacity as humans to be the, the most evolved uh, versions of ourselves and to express ourselves fully. So it, it, I think dancing is not just some like frivolous thing, frivolous pastime. It is like innate to, uh, to the human experience in terms of how we express ourselves across all different cultures. And if you look at like Aboriginal dancing, which I love, I've always been fascinated by Aboriginal dancing. They're inhabiting animals. 
and the bodies and the movements of animals, that there is like some kind of transmission of information and energy. You know, there's that's a way of sinking to the natural world. And we don't do that anymore. And so we, we, we're stuck in these like robotic positions. We're turning, we're techniques, you know, we've got these techniques. We're turning into our devices. And uh, we really, dancing for me is a way to release all the, all the all the programming and surrender to some to source energy and i often get like amazing downloads when i dance i start to see and and feel energy and like feel people's feel people's energy and auras if you will and know like i do some like witchy work on the dance floor at times and i'm like oh this person needs some love or this i need to break up the energy over here or sometimes i get very protective over the dj booth because people like don't have respect for their movement sometimes and like to bump into like you know just like people aren't aware of their bodies and sometimes I can be a bit of a dance floor you know patrol person <laughs> yeah it's uh it's it's a powerful form of expression and meditation for me oh yeah do you dance every day I don't, but now that you're saying that, I'm like, you know what? This needs to be part of my morning routine. I used to when I was younger. Yeah. There's, I think, a Cherokee saying when somebody is depressed, they ask, when was the last time you danced? So I'm going to, you know what? I'm, thank you for that. I'm, I'm making a commitment now to incorporate dance into my, into my morning routine because it does connect me to source. And I, and my problem is, is that I no longer enjoy the places where I've been. I used to enjoy dancing. Like clubs are like nightmares for me now. I don't know. I don't know how I could do another rave. I used to love it. And I was, there's something I respect about rave culture. It's really countercultural and it's a place for people to like, like-minded people to connect and and connect with and share a, 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 a shared love for rhythm and, and dancing on one beat. It can be powerful, you know, but just vibrationally for me, for me right now, the sounds and the noise and like, it's hard for my body right now. So I need to create other containers for dance. I used to throw a party called Dance Church, small little parties with my friends DJing, like music from around the world, really high vibrational. And the rule was participation only no observation, no standing around looking at what other people are doing. You either participate or you can wait outside. So uh, yeah, I'm going to start incorporating that back into my life and creating different containers for dance that are, you know, alcohol free and like, yeah, place a place of expression rather than just, you know, trying to be cool. Yeah. So, so powerful. I know for me, it brings me back into my body. It is so powerful. I know when I haven't been dancing, but even if I just do one or two songs in the morning in my lounge room, like being silly, I love silly dancing, you know, like what do you, you know, dance like, to? Oh my gosh. Well, this is so not, I've never done this before in my life, but I danced this morning to the little mermaid under the sea. I'm not joking. <laughs> I'm not joking. <laughs> because I'll tell you why. I woke up this morning singing that song. I don't know why. I don't know whether I heard it. Like, I haven't heard it. I don't know. I just don't know. But I just started singing it. And then I was singing it as I was like waking up and making the bed. And then I came out into the lounge room and I put it on. And I've like, I said to my husband, have you heard this before? And he's like, no. And I was like, haven't you seen The Little Mermaid? And he was like, no, babe. No, I was watching like Transformers and stuff. Like, And I was like, you have got to see The Little Mermaid. And 
I put it on and I did a dance for him and he was sitting on the couch just watching me singing and dancing like a four-year-old, but it was the best fun ever. Oh, that says so much about you and the joy you embody and your connection to your child self and like how that healthy relationship with, with fun and, and yeah, that's awesome. I really, I admire that, you know, that I think I love, yes, thank you for reflecting that to me because I, I've been very serious as of late and I could do with a good silly dance. So putting that on the agenda as well. You know what as well? It's really important what you just mentioned. Like I have done so much inner child healing work over the past three years in particular because I, I, it's what I needed. And it was very confronting and it was very, very painful at times. And I saw trauma. I was faced with trauma that I didn't even know was there. And it has been huge for me. But now that you say that, like it is a reflection. Like I don't know if I would have done that a year ago or two years ago. And it is a, it's a reflection for me looking back on it of how much I have come and how much I have healed that inner child, that little girl. And I have a little photo of myself as a six-year-old beside my bed. And every morning I roll over and I kiss it and I say, I love you so much. I love you. And my husband looks at me and he's like, you are so cute. And I'm just like, I do. Like how, like I look at her and I'm like, she is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in my entire life. And how could I neglect her? How could I neglect her during the day when I go into self-hatred and self-loathing? And for anyone who wants to do some inner child healing work, like that's a beautiful thing that you can do is get a photo of yourself when you were six, put it beside your bed or somewhere you can see it and, and give that little girl love and don't neglect her. Do not turn away from her because she needs you. You're the only person that she has, you know? Mm, that's so big. Yeah. That's beautiful. I have a lot of inner child healing to do as well. And I do have a photo of myself, but I need to make it more visible and have more of a relationship with that photo and with that self. And I think that's good homework for everybody. Find a song that you connected with around five or six and uh, put it on and, and, and honor your child in a child that way and see what comes up and have a silly dance in her, in her honor and, and all the, all the honor, all the fun times that she might have missed out on because, you know, a lot of us have suffered trauma around that age. You know, it's, I don't know anybody who doesn't have some kind of childhood trauma. So that's a good way to heal through dance and music and, and silliness and levity. Yes, I love it. All right, my love, I've got three rapid fire questions for you now. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. What is one thing that we can do today for our health? Just one thing. Eat more plants. <laughs> Love it. Yes. Everyone can do this. What's one thing that we can do today for our wealth? So more abundance in all areas of our life. Gratitude. Yes. Gratitude for what you already have. A hundred percent. Yes. And what is one thing that we can do for more love in our life? Start with loving, loving yourself and loving your inner child. Heal that relationship and you'll attract, you'll attract it from others. So true. Beautiful. 
Nat, this has been so beautiful. Is there anything else you want to share with us? Any last parting words of wisdom or anything that I didn't ask you about that you wanted to share? I think we touched on it all. The divine feminine, deprogramming, eating more plants, not buying any more clothes. And yeah, the last part, just the the gratitude. I think when you are constantly like projecting happiness, as we were saying, into some future reality, when you just have that, you know, new car or new item of clothing, then you're stealing from your happiness in the present moment. And you are robbing yourself of the opportunity to be grateful for what you already have. So I'd just like to close on that. And I'm saying that to myself as somebody who has been a very active consumer. So thank you for this opportunity to to share these thoughts with you and and whoever may be listening. And I look forward to reading the notes, the research notes. I mean, the, <laughs> the links you're going to put up, the resource links rather. Yeah, I, I've learned a lot. And yeah, it's you're truly an inspiration and I'm honored to be your friend now. Oh, thank you so much. I'm so grateful. And I'm a massive believer in service. And I want to know what I and the listeners can do to serve you today. How can we give back to you? Well, I think, thank you. That's so lovely. I think just sharing these ideas and keep on planting these seeds and host a solidarity swap. And if there's a fact here that resonated with you, share it. We are going to be the ones driving this culture change. You know, we are the culture. We are the weather and we are the culture. So let's like, let's keep this movement going. There's a big shift happening right now. It's very exciting. The potential for change is really big and real, but we got to keep this momentum going and we can't shut up my one of my bosses at work actually said when we were at dinner he was like oh you know because I was like making some comment about plants or whatever and he was like someone give her a drink and shut her up and like that's what they're gonna try to do they want to shut us up keep talking let's share this information and, and let's see these seeds germinate and blossom Natalie Kelly, you are a divine goddess, feminine angel. It has been such an honor and a pleasure getting to connect with you and getting to know you and having your wisdom shared with us today. I'm so grateful for you going there in all these different areas and topics that we spoke about. Everyone, please check out the show notes. We will link to Nat's Instagram, everything. So come and dive deep into the resources. Let us know what you got from this episode. And thank you so much, beautiful angel. We are beyond grateful to have you here. Thank you. Thank you. What an awesome, epic, expansive, diverse conversation with this incredibly down-to-earth and big-hearted human. I got so much out of today's episode. I feel so inspired. And if you did too, please subscribe and leave me a review in iTunes or on your podcast app, because that means that we can inspire and educate even more people together, which is what we need right now in the world. We need lots of togetherness. And it also means that you could potentially be the review of the week for next week, which is pretty awesome. And don't forget, if you leave me a review to send me a screenshot to hello at melissaambrosini.com. And as a thank you, I will send you my wildly wealthy guided meditation. Come and follow me on Instagram at melissaambrosini and tell me your top key takeaways from this episode. 
I absolutely love reading them all, so please come and share them with me. And for everything that Natalie and I mentioned in today's episode, you can check out in the show notes, and that's over at melissarambrosini.com forward slash 291. And you can also listen to all my other episodes there too. And before I go, I just wanted to say thank you so much for being here, for wanting to be the best, the healthiest, and the happiest version of yourself, and for showing up today for you. I am sending you so much love and good vibes and health and happiness for you and your family right now. And if you can think of someone in your life that would really benefit from this episode, please be an angel and share it with them right now. You can take a screenshot. You can share it on your social media, which I absolutely love seeing. You can email it to them. You can text it to them. Just do whatever you've got to do to get this in their ears. And until next time, don't forget that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word.